Well, greetings again, church. There we go. Make sure you're with me. Hey, I'd like to invite you to find Nehemiah 1 in your Bibles today. Last week, we started a series in Nehemiah where Mike, Pastor Mike, kicked off the first four verses. So if you haven't seen that and you'd like to get caught up, you can simply go online and view that message. But today, we're going to take a look at the power of prayer from Nehemiah 1, verses 5 through 11. But before we get there, I want to kind of set the stage so that we feel what Nehemiah felt. And the best way I could describe that is to bring you back a few years one fall morning when I was training down in Camp Lejeune. And in Camp Lejeune, they actually had something called mount training. Now, this is where you train for urban warfare. Now, urban warfare is extremely dangerous because there's multiple threats from all different angles. And the challenge you have is to identify the threats in a timely fashion while you're patrolling in such terrain. So after we had accomplished a few runs through this mock city with role players, the cadre pulled us into the briefing room and said, hey, let's take a time out. I need you guys to come in. So I was a chief of platoon. I was leading the bad news bears, and I was taking these uh, unlikely cast of characters into this briefing room when we saw a TV turned on. And what we witnessed was the second plane hitting the towers in New York on that 9-11 day. And it was very sobering because, for me, one of the guys in my platoon had a dad in one of those towers. So we felt the impact of 9-11 right away. I quickly packed up my guys and we headed home. And sure enough, we were greeted by our wives and kids and there was lots of tears. And uh, just a few days later, I found myself laying in bed with my three kids as they cried themselves to sleep, knowing that daddy was going to go somewhere where he probably was not going to be welcomed. As I look back on that memory and the challenges that it presented, there's a couple things that stood out. One, the utter shock of the loss of life and the destruction. Uh, it hit a lot of us. Now, I realize there's some people today that are young enough that actually don't remember this event. This is something historical that you read about. But for a lot of us, we know exactly when and where we were at on that day. The second thing that stands out is the unity that was on display across this country. Everybody linked arms for a season. Everybody prayed together. Men and women started going back to church if they were not in church. And people started worshiping their Lord and Savior. Uh, it was phenomenal. It also was really neat as someone who was deploying with other men and women to see the country unified and supporting us. Uh, that's a great place to fight from when you know your people are with you. 9-11, to me, gives us a glimpse of what Nehemiah felt when he got the report about the walls being down in Jerusalem. What he must have felt like knowing that his home city was defenseless. Imagine standing amidst that ruin. Uh, for over 100 years, the wall has been torn down in Jerusalem. And what was a thriving community now was a wasteland. The walls that protected your family, friends, and neighbors are now nothing but rubble. This was Nehemiah's reality when he heard of Jerusalem's state. His initial reaction was one of profound sorrow. He was heartbroken, but it propelled him to go to God in prayer. And like Nehemiah, we often face ruins of our plans, dreams, or perhaps moral integrity, and we find ourselves distraught because of personal circumstances. These moments can lead to despair, but they can also become turning points where we, too, can choose to turn to God in prayer, laying bare our hearts and seeking His guidance. 
Today, we will examine the power of prayer and we'll observe God working in an ordinary man to do some extraordinary things. Our text is Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, we stand in the shadow of your grace, recognizing our need for your presence in our lives. And like Nehemiah, we come before you with hearts that are heavy for our communities, our families, and even ourselves. We acknowledge our failings and the moments we have wandered far from your commandments. We confess our sins, both personal and collective, knowing that you are a God of forgiveness, compassion, and boundless love. Open our ears and our hearts to hear and obey your word today. May the story of Nehemiah challenge us to seek your face to remember your promises, and to commit ourselves anew to your service. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. 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 Now let me ask a question. Have you ever felt like not praying? I have. Now let me ask you another question. Who do you think doesn't want you to pray? We know who he is, right? The evil one, the devil, Satan. Of course he doesn't want you to pray. He does not want you to understand that you are a daughter or a son of the king of the universe. He doesn't want you to remember that you have access to him 24-7 and that he actually desires to hear from you. I also want you to remember it's during those times when you don't feel like praying that you need to pray all the more. John Bunyan rightly said, prayer will make a man cease from sin, and sin will make a man cease from prayer. Bunyan realized that prayerlessness is a spirit of independence from God. And if you were to walk away with only one thing today, I would desire that you walk away knowing that there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. It's such a privilege for us to have access to God, and yet few of God's children take advantage of this wonderful gift. My prayer this week has been for everyone listening to better understand this truth. Before we examine our passage, let me share a couple things that I believe will enhance your understanding of our text. The first thing is a reading of the book of Ezra will greatly increase your understanding of Nehemiah. Nehemiah picks up the story roughly after 13 years when the book of Ezra closes. Secondly, looking up terms will prove fruitful in your study. For example, 
in chapter 1, verse 1, consider the word Kislev. Now, it's a month on a calendar back then in one of those ancient calendars, and it stands for November-December time frame. Now glance to chapter 2, verse 1, and notice another word. It's called Nissan, and you pronounce it just like the car that a lot of you drive. But this stands for March-April time frame. Now I know, a lot of you are probably like, great, thanks Todd for the history lesson on ancient calendars, but what does that have to do with what we're studying today? That's a fair question, right? Well, here is the answer. What we observe in Scripture is that Nehemiah didn't just pray once and then go have a conversation with the king. Rather, he prayed for almost five months, day and night, intermixed with fasting before he ever approached the king with his request. It's a good reminder for us in our prayer lives. One of the other things that I thought was interesting about this is something that I've shared with you guys before, and that is it's crucial that we talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Once the request was granted, things picked up rather quickly. Again, the walls had been torn down for over 100 years. But according to Nehemiah 6.15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu, in 52 days. So 100 years of lamenting, this wall was torn down. And according to God's word, Nehemiah accomplished this feat with his team in 52 days. I'm reminded of real life when reflecting on prayer and waiting. This past Friday, I had the joy of participating in a welcome home adoption, a family that started praying in 2018 for a baby boy, and it seemed like God wasn't answering. And they were getting frustrated like all people do, but then all of a sudden they got that phone call and they said, we got a baby boy in South Carolina, come and get him. And so they drove down that day, they put their whole life on hold, and Friday, after months and years of praying, we got to welcome home this little boy, and he's officially adopted into a new family forever. And so that's just one example of how God works in this story of prayer. Another thing worth bringing to your attention in this text is the location of Susa, the citadel. Susa was the winter palace and the citadel for the king of Persia. Now look at this picture. It's of the Parthenon, but it'll give you a glimpse of what a citadel looked like for the Greeks borrowed uh, the Acropolis style of architecture from the Persians and their citadels. What's also interesting about this citadel, Susa, is that it was two and a half football fields long. Think of the magnitude when you think of ancient cultures. Look at all that marble and stone that's been hewn to create that uh, feature in front of us. Now picture one two and a half football fields long with the same columns. To say it was massive and luxurious would be a gross understatement. I also want you to look at this map so you understand scale and you think about the region. Look where Susa is located and then look at the journey. If you had your map quest in front of you, you would realize it's 766 miles from Susa to Jerusalem. But apparently they were not able to take advantage of the crow flying method, so they had a walk. The trail was over 900 miles. So over 900 miles, Nehemiah had to trek that ancient road so that he could get there, and he did it more than once. I don't know about you, I don't have super high math skills, but if you do 2 times 900 times that again with a big 2, we're talking 3,600 miles this man walked just to build some walls, all right? And so commitment 
uh, certainly for the cause. Nehemiah was invested and fired up for the Lord. Last thing I want you to think about before we get to our text. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts. I'm sure God brought him great comfort during this time in his life. And I'm sure God used him to comfort others. All right, with the scene set, I'm going to briefly cover three points today to help you better understand the power of prayer. The first thing I want you to see is the confessions to the Creator in verses 5 through 7. Let me read the text again. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray for you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah's prayer starts with acknowledging God's greatness. And then it moves to confession of sins of people, of his people, and for himself, showing the significance of humility before God. Nehemiah prayed day and night, we learn from our text. I wonder if God used his example to influence China's missionary, Hudson Taylor. Listen to what was said of him. It was said that the sun didn't rise without God finding him on his knees for that great land. I'm also mindful of a man I met in the Dominican Republic many years ago named Pastor Felix. He had an interesting program for people who were addicted to drugs and other things that were destroying their homes. He made these men sign a covenant, and they lived in a space that was probably twice, well, not even twice the length of these rugs up here, but maybe twice the width. Twelve men lived with Pastor Felix in a space that had a stove, they had a locker. When I say stove, like a single burner, propane. And they had a locker to hold food. And they had bunk beds that went five or six high, if memory serves correct. And he made a covenant with these men that they will live and stay in this space for one calendar year. And he will disciple them and pour into them. If they choose to leave, they cannot come back. And at date, when I was down there, all 12 men had not broke that covenant. And they had been there over eight months. Now that day when I arrived, their food locker was empty. And I said, how do you go about getting food if you've made a commitment not to leave this space? And he goes, that's simple. We just pray and ask God to fill it. And you're here today. And so my team and I went out and we got some rice and beans and we filled that locker up. But isn't it encouraging to know that men and women relying on the Lord God who are found faithful, like God meets their needs? We need that reminder today. Sometimes we forget when we've been removed from challenges such as those. I'm also mindful of the beautiful prayers of your children and grandchildren when they first start praying on their own. I'll never forget the first prayer where we cut our son loose at three. We're like, just pray. And he brought it. Like he was praying and he was going to town. And I don't remember all the particulars because I believe we broke the hour mark. Like he was really going before the Lord. But I'll remember the four things he closed that prayer with for the rest of my life. He finished by saying, thank you, God, for trees and grass, cops, and Chris Ledoux. Amen. I was like, all right. Like, uh, what a reminder that your child watches you. Because apparently I played a lot of Chris Ledoux music, which if you don't know him, that's all right. He's passed away. He was an actual cowboy who rode horses and played music in the back of his truck. But bottom line was to hear that little boy pray 
a sincere prayer to God. It was really sweet. I'm also mindful of my granddaughter, who many of you have been praying for, who's been going through leukemia for over a couple years. I remember one of her first prayers during that season. She was praying for everybody else in the family, everybody. And little things like, oh, I hope I get better so that I can go visit my cousin Hazel in Virginia, and on and on it went. And then she did have one request pertaining to her health, and she said, God, why do I have zucchini? Right? It's those sweet prayers from children. But I knew what she meant. And even though we may know God's sovereignty and the proper answer, when a three-year-old looks at you and says, Papa, why do I have zucchini? I just shrugged my, no, my shoulders and said, I don't know, but I know God loves you, little one. And so we're praying all the more. So thank you for praying for that sweet little girl. Nehemiah's prayer portrays the acrostic pray that we've been teaching for this church for a while. P stands for praise God. R stands for repent. A stands for ask. And Y stands for yield. And you see this in this text. It's a beautiful example. And I will tell you, one of the best things you can do is to learn to pray God's word. When I was younger, I'll be honest, I struggled to really stay involved in praying for more than five minutes. My mind started wandering. I was like, oh, what's going on outside? And all these other things that perhaps some of you go through. But when you use God's word to guide you, you can't go wrong because you're praying God's word. But it also gives you nice, pleasant boundaries to stay within. And what I've learned, let's say you're in a church group and you're in a different setting, praying God's word can help encourage the introverts to pray. Like introverts can pray a sentence. They can actually pray like, thank you God for being awesome, amen. Like they can do that. And that's what Nehemiah just said. He's like, you're awesome. And he acknowledged that, right? But it also controls the extroverts from taking over the whole evening, right? And so like in a sentence, Todd, thank God for being God. So that tells me like, oh, in a sentence, which sometimes we show grace to our family, right, in the church. Sometimes a sentence is translated multiple paragraphs, but at least they get the gist of it, right? But here's the deal. We learn when we listen to other people pray, for sure. And what I've learned is that when people pray God's word, that's the most valuable way to pray. I learned from a dear pastor many years ago, Adrian Rogers, who fed me the word of God on a regular basis. He said this about prayer. A prayer that gets to heaven is the prayer that starts in heaven. Think about it. If God wants something done, it's going to start from him and initiate with us. And so we're only praying what he already desires. All the more reason we want to be students of the word of God so that we know what to pray. Pastor Rogers went on to say, Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he'll keep us from asking. Nehemiah gives us a picture of prayer that starts in heaven. Nehemiah also gives us the proper confession and what it looks like. He not only confesses corporate sin, but he also addresses personal sin. I think that's a big deal. And I've shared with you before to help you understand the magnitude of confessing sin, but picture debriding a gunshot wound. I've had the uh, privilege, we'll call it that, uh, to help wounded soldiers by debriding gunshot wounds. And what I've learned from surgeons, who are the actual pros, is that if you leave one little piece of tissue that's dead, that necrotic tissue, it will kill the host organism. If you don't remove all of it, it will destroy you. That's why when we look at Psalm 139 and we ask the Lord God to search our heart and to reveal any way that's unpleasing to him, 
Like God is faithful and he will reveal areas you need to confess. Then in a Hebrews 4.12 kind of way, you let him go in with that surgeon's scalpel to remove that dead tissue, those things that are destroying you. But it's a choice that you have to make. I love how Isaiah 1.18 addresses sin. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Confessing our sin is wise and healthy, church. The apostle John knew of its importance as well. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be a Greek student to understand what the word all means. All means all. And isn't it sad, though, that many of us think there's something we've done that God could not forgive. Like that we actually limit an all-powerful, all-knowing God. He knows everything about you. He knows your hidden sin. So why hide it from him? Instead, get on the OR table. Let him do his healing work. And will it be painful for a season? You bet. All surgeries are. But then you'll have proper, healthy healing. There's no better place to be in the master surgeon and let him do the work on your heart. I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Listen to the words. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's look at our second point. Calls for compassion, verses 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah reminds God of his promises, showing his trust in God's compassionate nature and faithfulness. And let's be clear, Nehemiah is not reminding him because he thinks that God has forgot those promises. Instead, Nehemiah is pointing out to God's word and his faith in God's promises to validate his request. He's like, I have found in scripture, dear Lord, Deuteronomy 30 is where he's going to, that these are things you desire, and that's why I'm claiming them. Now, there's an interesting word that's in this text. It's the word remember. If you were to look it up, You'll find in the ESV translation, it's listed 222 times. Now, when you study the Bible, you're taught to look for things that are repeated because they're important. But why this word remember 222 times? Could it be because we're prone to forget? As a people, we are prone to forget. Don't think so? Think of any interaction you've had with a small child or maybe, dare I say, teenager. Sometimes we find ourselves repeating the same guidance over and over and over. Now, I see a lot of husbands and wives leaning over and talking to each other, too, and so certainly it could apply in marriage as well. But here's the deal. We are prone to forget, and that's why God has used this word, remember, 222 times. Maybe, just maybe, knowing how frail we are and how prone we are to forget will help us extend grace to those under our care, no matter what their age. 
I also learned this about prayer. Promises are important. Keeping them even more so. Last week, I had the privilege of watching my granddaughter so that my daughter and her husband could work night to shine. It's a wonderful event where we bless families and care for them. And I had those two little girls, and I was getting them in their bedtime routines. And so the oldest one, Hazel's four. And so I got her to bed, and then I was dealing with the baby, and then trying to get the baby to bed, and all the things that you moms are just like, please, like this is stuff we do every day. But it had been a while, and so I was getting after it as Papa, and I was having fun. But then I had to make a promise to the oldest one. She looked at me and she said, Papa, when you get my baby sister to sleep, will you still come in and give me three kisses and two hugs? I said, kid, I promise. When your baby sister's asleep, I'm going to come in and give you those three kisses and two hugs. So it took a little while. But once I got that baby to sleep, I came in there, and lo and behold, that little girl was snoring and fast asleep. So I took her picture. And then I gave her three kisses and two hugs, risking waking the sleeping bear. But it was worth it because I want to be a papa that follows up on my word. Now, I'll tell you, not all the promises I've made to my children and grandchildren have paid off as cleanly as that. About a month ago, you recognized maybe that I was gone for one Sunday, and that's because I went down to Georgia to love on my granddaughter who's been going through leukemia. I love that little Riley. And obviously, I got to see her little sister and her dad and mom. But I snatched little Riley away for a few days and took her to Florida. That little girl wanted to build sandcastles and do fun things, and we did all that. But we also stayed somewhere where they had a heated pool. And by the heated pool, something captured Papa's eye. It was this giant tower that had a water slide around it, and it wrapped around and around. Now, Riley's five. She still hasn't learned how to swim. But she has a Papa that's more than capable to be a lifeguard. And so I watched the little children come down the slide, and actually you can't see them at all. You just see them exit. And they all gently just land in the water, and they swim away. And I was like, well, this doesn't look too bad. So I decided to convince her after it took a while, maybe an hour, but I said, I got you, kid. I promise nothing will happen. Like, I got you. I'm Papa. We walk up there. And I should have known, like, I should have read the signs that said one person at a time. And, and I even had a little boy say, uh, excuse me, sir. It says one person at a time. I was like, I got it, kid. And then I get up there, and they actually have a red light, green light before you jump into this hole to start this slide. And I was like, all right, that's not exactly what it looked like at the bottom. And she's like, Papa? I was like, you're good, kid. You got Papa. <laughs> have you ever seen the luge event in the Olympics? <laughs> I forgot that adding more than 200 pounds to the equation might also change the speed in which a child goes down the water slide. And so we jumped in together. And we were high banking those corners, and she was screaming to the top of her lungs. And I had regret, but it was a very long water slide. And so <laughs> we did the luge together. We qualified for the next Olympics. And then something crazy happened. We hit the pool, and we were not gently introduced to the water. We went clear across the whole pool. I did my best to hold her head up. Occasionally, I think I heard bubbles. And eventually we got there, and then would you believe those lifeguards yelled at me? <laughs> and so did my granddaughter. And I heard, Papa, you promised. <laughs> and so as much as maybe I pulled some promises off, I have failed in some as well. But here's the deal. As followers of Christ, our responsibility is to point people to the ultimate promise keeper. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
If you're here today exploring Christianity, I have the best news in the world for you. The Bible makes it very clear that God desires to have a relationship with you. That alone should blow you away. The creator of the universe, he desires to know you. Now, the Bible also makes it painfully clear that we all have a sin nature, and that sin nature separates us from a holy God. There's nothing we can do about it. We cannot remove our sins by good deeds. Now, could you imagine having, entering heaven and having this bragging contest going on? Like, how much did you give? You're like, oh, I gave 10 bucks. Oh, yeah, I gave 50. And then you meet this one person over here who gave 1,000, right? Like, that is not how people get to heaven. We will all be there for the very same reason. We placed our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus plus nothing. So here's the deal. Please hear me when I say that God loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die in your place and that God raised him from the dead to show he has power over our greatest enemy and that is death itself. And God has no problem dealing with death. He can resurrect us and bring us to new life. But here's the best news of all. Everlasting life can begin today by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I love telling people and reminding them this salvation is available for everyone. Everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God stands ready to redeem you and restore you. That's the gospel, and that's the good news. And you can have eternal life, and it can begin today. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but I did allude to Deuteronomy 30. If you want to look at verses 1 through 10, you'll have a better understanding of what Nehemiah is referring back to when he's referring to Moses and the instruction given to him. But Nehemiah's invocation of God's promises underscores a deep trust in God's word and his character. My encouragement to you is find the promises of God and know what they mean. And if it's something God wants to do, then stand upon it and claim it. Pray big prayers. Consider what John Newton said. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Something we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer is that God's delays are not God's denials. Let me say it again. God's delays are not God's denials. Probably the most vivid reminder in recent memory for me is seeing my in-laws pray for their youngest son, Timothy. Timothy was in that category of probably not. I mean, if you're to be honest. And you all probably think there's people like that. Like, well, this person, yeah, we pray for, and I bet God could save them, but then we have that category. And isn't that shameful? We limit God. Like, is there anyone too hard for God to save? I dare say no. But our prayer life doesn't often reflect that. I saw my father-in-law pray often for Timothy, and then he passed away. Still no reckoning. And then I saw my mother-in-law pray and pray and pray, and then she passed away. And then Timothy got radically saved. It didn't happen according to their timeline. It happened according to God's. As you pray, and you care enough to pray for those who are lost, stay with it and know that God hears those types of prayers. He desires none to perish. Don't give up. Lastly, third point, commitment to the cause, verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your great strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. 
and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. With a prayer rooted in commitment, Nehemiah asks God's favor for his mission. And look at the synergy of divine guidance and human effort. Again, Pastor Rogers, I remember him saying this. He said, we should pray as if it all depends on God and then work as if it all depends on us. I like that. It's really summarizing what Spurgeon said all those years ago, that God is sovereign and man is responsible. Now, Nehemiah's request for success is a testament to his understanding of God's sovereignty and his role as a servant. And I love how casual Nehemiah is when he refers to the king, the man who holds the power to remove his head. And he said, would you grant me mercy in the sight of this man? You know why? Because Nehemiah knew he was talking to the king of kings. He was not worried about this man. He wanted to interact with the king of kings, and that's who he brought his petition to. Nehemiah knew that God could stir hearts. We learn that in Ezra 1, verses 1 and 5. In verse 1, we see that he stirs the heart of Cyrus, a world leader, to cause him to do the things that he wants. And in verse 5, we see that he stirs the heart of the people. He probably also was aware of Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now, perhaps the life of Nehemiah inspired George Mueller's words when he penned, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. Nehemiah's faith encouraged us to commit to God's calling with fervor. Our endeavors, whether big or small, should be rooted to a commitment of God and to God supported by prayer and a deep reliance on his guidance and provision. Now remember this too, I think this is important. As you spend time in God's word, know that if the Holy Spirit is guiding you, he will do it according to scripture and never contrary to it. That's why you want to be a student of the word of God. This is not an Easter egg hunt, his will. He wants you to know his will. And you know his will by spending time in his word. Earlier I referred to 9-11, and I know that's a painful memory for a lot of us. And a lot of us put skin in the game to deal with that new threat. But one of the things I'll remember is the unity displayed on the actual site in New York. Men and women coming together, rallying the unity, the commitment, the sacrifice. And thankfully it lasted for a few years. Today, it's been over 20 years past that event, and think about the unity on display today in our country. That's just 20 years. We are a people prone to forget. Now, you may ask, how in the world did we get there, Todd? Like just 20 years ago, we were arm in arm. We're like, we can do this. We're going to fight together. We're going to stand up against evil. 20 years later, everybody's just chewing each other apart. I think the best way I can illustrate this is to get you involved in this sermon. This is a pop quiz. I'm going to give you two. And I know you love quizzes, right? We all go back to school here. But I need you to raise your hands and be interactive. I did my research. First service proved that I was pretty spot on. But I want to see if 11 o'clock is really just tracking as true as well. So I need you to raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. you got to own this. By show of hands, how many of you know who Taylor Swift is? All right. 
How many of you know she's a billionaire? Mm. How many of you know once upon a time I was a thousandaire? It's true. I don't want to brag. How many of you know she attended the Super Bowl? This is super helpful. How many of you know what country she flew from to attend the Super Bowl? A lot of hands. Even people I would say I didn't know were Swifty fans. How many of you know who her current boyfriend is? Wow. <laughs> How many of you know what her lucky number is? Yeah, same in the last service. Not as many. All right. And how many of you know whether her boyfriend won the Super Bowl? The gas says it all. All right. That's culture. Let's do a pop quiz on church. Ready? By show of hands, who can name at least three unreached people groups? By show of hands, who can name all the elders at NBC? By show of hands, who knows modern-day Iran is the fastest-growing church in the world? By show of hands, who knows about the young drug dealer turned pastor named Mefri in Indonesia who's just getting after it for the Lord today? Last one. Who checks in with Voice of Martyrs to see how to pray for Christians who are being tortured and imprisoned every day? My point's not to be critical but my point is to illustrate we spend time on what we think is important. And if we're the church and we don't care about what's going on at the body of Christ level, who will? I would suggest we need to spend a little less time on social media and chasing after celebrities and a little more time in the word of God and the people of God and to pray for them. To pray for our elders, men who gather every Saturday to pray for you. The least we can do is pray for them, because I guarantee you they're targets of the enemy's attack. Now remember, up front, I said if there's one thing you could walk away with today, it's to know the power of prayer. Bold prayers reflect a deep understanding with God. Nehemiah's request shows his confidence in God's power and his willingness to be used by God. Now you may doubt your value today or your usefulness to the Lord for any number of reasons. But look anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, and you will see that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of man. So if you find yourself being chosen and used by God, you need to remember he's really good at identifying fools, right? I know what I am, and you know what I pray before I get up here. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's my prayer before I preach. I know I am just a man but I am a man that I want to do my very best to lift up the word of God and to point you to the hope that I have in Christ. Consider 1 Corinthians when we think of fools that God chooses. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Nehemiah knew the power of prayer because he knew who he was praying to. He also understood that if he was laboring for the Lord, it would not be in vain. There's so much more that we could share about this, but know this. Nehemiah's narrative 
teaches us about prayer. It's a call to fortify our spiritual lives and embark on a path of renewal with God as our guide. It's a call to understand the power of prayer and the commitment to the cause. Let us remember that the strength to rebuild, whether it be our lives, our faith, our relationships, begins with a humble posture of prayer, just as it did for Nehemiah. And remember, as a child of God, you were redeemed to represent. That starts in your home. So some of this confession, as you get things right with the Lord, the very next step might be to make amends with the people that you love and cherish the most. Are we not sometimes the nastiest with the people that we care about the most? So there might even be some big old giant sorries that need to be handed out with the people you love today. Let me give you one clear call to action from this text as we bridge us to the New Testament. And in light of the cross, how do we apply this to our lives today? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, just three verses. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, all prayer language here, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Notice how many people? He said all, all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Think about that. We sing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus, and we want to do all these things to please him, and he's saying, I'd really like for you to pray for the leaders appointed over you. That would please me. How often do we pray for leaders, especially ones that maybe we didn't vote for? In this land of D.C., we can sure get in a froth quickly, can't we? And yet, do we pray for those elected officials? God's word says we should. Hudson Taylor writes, states, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Do we believe this church? Do we believe we serve a God that could do anything? Do we believe he can change hearts? Do we believe that he can change those hearts that you care about? If so, join me as we pray now. Father of mercy and restoration, as we conclude our time together, our spirits are lifted by the story of Nehemiah, his faith, his courage, and his unwavering commitment to you. Thank you for the reminder that no matter the distance we feel from you, a sincere heart and a humble confession can bridge that gap. Help us to carry Nehemiah's example into our daily lives, remembering your promises and calling on your compassion and committing ourselves to your cause with courage and faith. Guide us this week as we seek to rebuild those broken walls in our lives, relying not on our own strength but on yours. Please guide us in our endeavors as you did for Nehemiah and let our lives reflect your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. So here's what I'd like us to do. Got a few prayer prompts for you on the screen. We're going to take a couple minutes. It seems foolish to have a sermon on the power of prayer and not to spend some time in prayer in closing. So between you and the Lord, take a look at these. Maybe one, you want to camp out longer than the other. But the appropriate time, I'll come back up here and close us. So let's pray now.
Heavenly Father, your word is good. And it so challenges us. I do pray you would move on our hearts and that you would give every child of God their own Jerusalem, an area to care for, one that they'll spend time in prayer. And Father, I do pray that we each walk away with the understanding of how powerful it is to confess our sin to you, to receive that healing balm from you. So may you do a great work in our hearts in this area as well. And Father, help us to be students of your word. Help us to know your promises and help them to guide us in those days that are difficult. And Father, I do pray that we would be a people that would ask for names to pray for, starting with leadership in our great country and work in circles out from there as you call us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for our leaders. I also pray that you would give us wisdom on how to balance a prayer life with action. Just like Nehemiah, he brought his petition to you and then he got to work. So Father, please direct your children to where you would want them to go and start building those walls. Father, may I be pleased. And thank you so much that we do have a friend in Jesus. Oh, Father God, may you be pleased as we worship you now. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.